0: Welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime. Beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Hello, and welcome to the Peaceful World Schoolers podcast, where we are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harters, and I am a special education teacher, a gentle parenting author, and a proud world schooling mom to two amazing kids, Sophia, who's seven, and Benjamin, who is three. Today on the Peaceful World Schoolers podcast, I have the privilege and honor of having Amelia Sherry on as a guest. Um, I am so excited to dive into this conversation with her, and I know that this will be a conversation that has the potential to change your world and the world around us. So let's dive in. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, Amelia, and
1: uh, we're so happy to have you. Thank you, Angela. I'm really excited to be here, and I love that introduction. I love the idea of having a conversation. that could change change so much. It's really um, a pleasure, and I'm excited. Oh, good. Uh, Well, before we get started, can you share a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, So my name is Amelia Sherry. Uh, Professionally, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist um, and I have a specialty in pediatrics. And as far as my family, I have three daughters. I have a 19-year-old stepdaughter who's away at college. And then I have a 10-year-old daughter and a six-year-old daughter. Wonderful. So full house, lots of estrogen in the house. I love that. Yeah. I also have a husband and he lives with us too. So we have a little bit of testosterone, but yeah, the girls are (laughs) taking over. (laughs) That's
0: wonderful. I love to have a house full of girls. Um, All right. And so I know you said that you are a registered dietitian. And one of the things that, um, that you are passionate about is helping families to have positive relationships with food. And, um, this has actually been something that has been on my heart for a long time, because personally I have struggled my whole life, um, with diet and weight and, um, you know, trying all these different things and really struggled to, to discover what it means to be healthy. And so I'm curious, how would you define what it means to be healthy?
1: Um, that's one of my favorite questions. And, um, I will say you are absolutely not alone being especially um, a woman in this culture, not that it just impacts women, but uh, be really hard pressed to find a woman who hasn't struggled at some point with the, with eating and how it relates to her feelings of self and her body. I think there's uh, one statistic that should um, 91% of college age women have been on a diet one or more times in their life. So, I mean, that's, almost everyone. And I think if you think about the people around us, your own friends and the women in your life, everyone has, it's come up. Um, and there's those lucky people that we all know who, who are somehow protected. And that's actually what I want to help more um, of kids grow up to be, right? Those people who just see impervious to like these messages and stresses. Um, but to get back to your question, what is, um, what do I consider healthy, a healthy eating or healthy relationship with food, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um you have to bring me back when I go off on tangents cuz I do that. Um, be great. So um for for from my perspective, uh, a healthy relationship with food is eating not only for physical well-being but also for emotional well-being and for social well-being. So eating is a a biopsychosocial process. So we eat um to support ourselves physically and our physical health, but we also eat in communion with other people, and there are social aspects to it, which is an important part of our health. Um, and there are emotional aspects to it as well. We need to enjoy the food that we're eating. We don't can't just eat um, mechanically. We there ha- we have to take pleasure in it. Um, and there are a lot of emotions around food, right? We we feel comforted with food. And um, it should absolutely be a positive thing. So my issue and the reason I don't use the word healthy, I wish that was everyone's version of healthy. Um, But unfortunately, I think the word healthy has gotten very polluted. And um, people think of healthy eating as eating only for physical health. Like they think that you have to be eating always with the idea of preserving your body in some like optimal physical state. And that is actually, puts a lot of pressure on our eating, a lot of negative pressure on our eating. And it takes us away from the emotional and social aspects of eating. Um, and I always like to refer back to the World Health Organization definition of health, because I just feel like it gives a little more ump for credibility to what I'm saying, but the World Health Organization decides Defines health as um, total physical, emotional, and social well being. It's not just the wow. absence of physical disease. So they acknowledge that, and we don't need them to acknowledge it, but I like to say that, but it, it makes sense, but that all these aspects of our health, um, of ourselves, play into our health. So it's more, I like to think about eating well being, um, yeah. not healthy eating. Um, that is a
0: powerful, powerful distinction. I feel like my mind is blown right now because I feel like all I've been trained to think about and all most of us have been trained to think about is healthy eating in the physical sense, but I never even considered like the emotional and social aspects of, of wellness when it comes to food, as you mentioned, and that distinction between health and wellness. That's really fascinating.
1: Oh, I'm glad that um, it it was power or it's powerful for you. And I hope that other people um, feel the same. I can give a few um, more. I could give a few more examples to really drive it home. That would be Um, great.
0: Yeah. I was wondering that. I'm like, what does this look like practically for you and your family?
1: Yeah. Well, practically speaking, I avoid using the word healthy um, Mm -hmm. with foods. Um, Well, I can talk more about that, um, but just to put that on the shelf for a moment, the um, to help people understand where I'm coming from or what to really fully believe of like the idea of eating well-being, I can give a couple examples of how um, our eating gets really distorted um, because even having this conversation and me saying it and you're saying, well, that that's, you know, you're in agreement or it kind of lights you up or makes sense to you. You're going to go out in the world and you're going to get confronted with this notion of healthy over and over and over being prioritizing physical health. So Mm -hmm. I love to share examples. Um, One of the um, one, one of the, there's a defining thing in our culture um, currently and has been for the last few decades, which is dieting and being as thin as possible, like, and that being linked with health. And it's, we call it diet culture, because it's like a pervasive um, set of beliefs and attitudes around food and thinness and health. Um, So, but for example, so um, when we eat to be a certain weight, or maybe a smaller weight, or lighter weight, or smaller body, that's more smaller than natural for us, We that puts a lot of pressure on our eating, we come to the table, and we're making all these decisions about what to eat that have nothing to do with um, how hungry we are, which is really important for sustaining health. Um, And that causes a lot of emotional stress. So even if you are avoiding certain, you know, trying to decrease sodium in your diet or saturated fat or things like that. If you're putting, if you're making a distance, first of all, at the meal with your family, which has a lot of benefits, eating in social situations has a lot of, um, research back benefits. If you are now making a divide between you guys are going to eat that and I'm going to eat this, or I can't even eat with you guys because it's, I can't see you eat that when I want, you're actually harming your social, your, your relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and emotionally, if you're stressing yourself out to the point of, we all know, I don't even have to give examples of how much how stressful it is to follow a lot of these very restrictive diets right. that people believe are going to improve their physical health. But when they put all this emotional pressure and stress on us, they're harming us in other ways. We see that with eating disorders all the time. You know, eating disorders tear not just people up, but whole families up when they get to um a certain level and disordered easing, which is sort of like a it's like eating disorder light in my mind, but it's a lot more pervasive, just like a disordered way of thinking about eating. That's just, that causes a lot of stress and strife too. Um, so I hope that clarifies a little more. Yeah, it, it, it does. And
0: I think it's, it's something I feel like our society really misses as a whole. We focus so much on, on physical things, but I think we really neglect that emotional and, and social impact of not just food, but life in general, you know, we, I think we really neglect our, our mental health and our social health, especially in the midst of everything happening with COVID. You know, we, I think we, you know, we haven't really fully weighed out the impact of, of all these COVID measures on our emotional and our social health and well being. Um, but I love that this is something that you've been thinking about even before, long before COVID of how we can address these issues when it comes to food. And I'm wondering, is this, um, how did you come to develop this philosophy? Like, were you raised this way or is it something that you feel like has developed over time? I'd love to hear about your journey into how you discovered, um, you know, this, this approach to be able to view food in a different way.
1: Sure, yeah, I'd love to share a little more about how I came to it. I just glanced at my watch because I was like, oh, I hope I <laughs> how much detail should I go into? <laughs> keep it really light because everybody's story goes way back, right? Yeah, um, so I had um, a very disordered relationship with food myself, starting in adolescence around the time I hit puberty. Um, and I think, um, girls in particular, again. Um, It's not just girls, it's all genders, but my experience has been being raised as a female in the society. So I always refer back to that. Um, I think when my body started changing around puberty, I was putting on weight, it was making everyone feeling really weird around me and it made me feel weird there. You know, I write, I'm a writer too, as a writer before I became a dietitian, So I write about a lot of these things. Um, What was handed down to me from my mother, like there's an intergenerational, um, transmission of this dysfunctional eating from, yeah. Yeah. We've all had these experiences and I love to talk about that as well. Um, at some other time, or, um, I invite people to write about it too. in one of my groups, it's, it's a great, it's like a bonding experience. And it's so great to know it wasn't just like your family. But in any event, I had that experience when I was younger, starting in adolescence, I had a very dysfunctional relationship with food, um, all through high school and college, and I was on diets and off diets, and it really took up so much mental space. Um, and it really did have a uh I think it was a lot more um battles internally with my place in the world um I just felt like I was better more like I I don't know I had more collateral on the planet if I was thinner which Mm -hmm. is so it seems so ridiculous now but as a young person that is really how I, I view things and um, I ended up working in pursuing a career that was related to diet I worked in women's magazines for over a decade, writing about diets, writing about workouts and nutrition. Um, and then I had like a turning point in my life where, um, my mom got very sick and I had to take a break from work and I was in hospitals and things like that. And I thought I'd like to work with people one-on-one. I went back to school to become a nutritionist and at the same time i became a mother and was just petrified about what eating was going i had a daughter obviously if you heard and i was very very concerned about at that time not so much that she would suffer from dieting but that i would just totally muck up her eating and like she wouldn't she was going to be a bad eater. And it really just um, came to a head when I then started working in pediatrics and working with families and just realizing that all of the healthy information I was supposed to be telling them and the rules um, and restrictions were just contributing to this disordered eating and really harming kids. Um, I always skip over the part of the story where I actually recovered from my disordered eating. And um just before becoming a mother, just before having my daughter and going through that whole body change, which was good that I was in recovery before that. But when I ha- was faced with the challenge of feeding my daughter, things got triggered again. Um, and that's why I work primarily with mothers raising girls now through my business, Nourisher, um, because I feel that, and I've seen it with so many of the families I've worked with, that these issues, even when we get in a solid place of food, these issues. Get reignited or resurface when we're faced with talking to our children and helping them have healthy attitudes with food um, and watching them, their weight change and their body change and their struggles. And of course, a lot of that came up during COVID, especially. Um, that's the that's the like most of the story, I think right there. Yeah. So, so teaching kids to eat healthy was contributing to dysfunctional eating, I could see. So I had to come to a new approach. And luckily for me, I didn't have to reinvent it. Um, I found research, there's the Ellen Satter Institute. She is a dietitian and a social worker who's been studying what we call feeding dynamics, mm-hmm. um, which is um, kind of the mix of family dynamics and feeding. And, and she's a like I said, a dietitian as well. So she has a nutrition background um, and has come up with a model for feeding children that um, reinforces this idea of total wellness and not just eating for physical health. Um, And that's what I teach the women that I work with and the families I work with. And we've had lots of success and lots of transformation around the table and lots of um, just relief like parents just tell me, oh, it just feels like they're just a huge weight off their back to not just be micromanaging like everything that goes in their child's mouth, you know? Yeah.
0: So I am I am curious. Um, I know that many people put up a lot of kind of off-limits foods. Um, especially like sugar in particular, I know a lot of people are very cautious about things like dyes and sugar. And, um, you mentioned, you know, saturated fat or sodium and all these other things that people kind of say, you know, this is a taboo food or you can't have this food, or this is an unhealthy food. How do you, how do you approach those kinds of foods that most people would say, oh, sugar is unhealthy or too much sodium is unhealthy. Um, how would you, how would you help those of us that are coming from that mentality?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, from my perspective, all foods can fit into a diet. So I really recommend avoiding healthy foods and unhealthy foods, that sort of mentality, the black and white with foods. Um, I'll, um, when what we know from research, I'll just throw this out there, is that when we restrict foods or make them off limits, we become much more likely to um, be what we call disinhibited or out of control around those foods. So mm-hmm. not all, like so we're not. So when we make a food, when we say this has too much sugar, or that has too much salt, first of all, we're triggering anxiety in our kids, we're triggering um, shame and guilt because a lot of those foods are the foods that taste good and we want to eat and they're delicious and we enjoy them. So now you're just creating like an internal conflict in the child just by making things just off limits. So I don't recommend doing that. Um, what I do recommend doing is w- w- acknowledging that there's nutrition in all kinds of foods. There is, even if a food has a lot of sugar, that's fine. Actually, sugar is. Um, a type of carbohydrate and it gives us energy. So, sugar isn't, the, it's been so demonized in our culture um, and kind of reinforcing that in your family does more damage. And so we kind of need to unravel it and relax around it a lot to help our kids feel comfortable around those foods as well and be a lot more indifferent to them. Yes, they're enjoyable, but they're not this taboo thing that we get in this big emotional conflict about should I or shouldn't I? Do I have too much? Do I have, do I have too little? Oh, I ate it. I'm a bad person. Like we want to mm-hmm. just, you know, we don't want those experiences for our child. Um, and the more we expose kids to different foods, the, the more they're able to feel relaxed and comfortable around them. So, My approach is very specific. I recommend that we have structured meals at set times. And then within that structure, the child has as much freedom as they want. And you as the parent decides what's going to be offered. So you use mixes, mix of foods, what you have available, what you can afford, what you um, find pleasurable. You mix things and you'll mix foods that have lots of sugar and sodium and foods that don't um, based on whatever you're able to do. You know, sometimes time is a conflict and you just can't get a certain... um, like mix of food. Sometimes finances are a conflict, um, but you have to do what you can and feel good about it. And what I always prioritize, I like to de-emphasize the actual foods and emphasize the coming together regularly and reliably at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, that's based in research. I didn't just make it up. We see that based on Ellen Satter's research and Other bodies of research that just having these meals together regularly with your kids um, has so many benefits and not, not just on their emotional well-being, but on their physical well-being, on their social well-being. Um, you've probably heard the benefit of family meals multiple times, right? That there's yeah, actually, I was
0: I was really blessed to grow up in a family that we did that. You know, every every single night we would sit down together as a family at the dinner table. Of course, there were no devices back in the, in that time, um, and we would just have conversations together, pray, and eat dinner as a family and um, enjoy that time together. And um, so that was something that was really important for me. Um, But that was normal for me growing up having, you know, family dinners every single night. Um, I just, I just didn't know any other way to, to do meals, you know, than having meals together as a family. But um, as I've been a teacher, most of my students, I find that that is not their experience. And that was something that was really shocking for me to know that, a lot of times my students are, you know, I work with high school students and a lot of times they're responsible for making their own meals. And so they're just kind of microwaving something and eating on their own or eating in their bedrooms. Um, And they're really missing out on, on that opportunity to, as you mentioned, to connect together as a family unit and to have that kind of social, emotional, and physical experience of being together around the dinner table and having a positive experience with meals with your family, with people that love you.
1: Yeah. The, the, um, if I could add, I think that I'm I'm so happy that you had that experience I'm sure that it had so many, um, benefits on you that we, you know, we don't even, we don't even actually realize how lucky we are. I had to had, uh, I was raised by a single mom, but she, um, she's Italian and food was extremely important and we had to come to the table every night for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, The things that get in the way that I find when I work with parents is that they're overly worried about what their child's eating. So that adds a lot of stress to the meal. Um, and that's why I don't, yeah. And it it becomes the, the table becomes this real source of stress and conflict and it can harm your relationship with your children and you feel like you're doing the right thing because you're, you're applying, you know, pressure and trying to help them experience like the healthier food, but it really doesn't, um, serve them actually in a a great way because having an extra couple bites of vegetables um isn't doesn't give as much of a benefit as we are led to believe by diet culture and also what I consider health culture like the the pressure to eat in a certain way so Mm. so yeah so a lot of families aren't able to do it sometimes it's just time and and just there's work situations um or after school things, but often, and those things we can't fix as easily, but often what I find is this pressure where the parents just kind of be like, well, I can't get something healthy out. So I'm not going to do anything or they don't like what I mean, what I want to eat or what I don't want them to eat that. So I just going to kind of avoid it. And sometimes it's very conscious, but sometimes it's unconscious too. Like um, with my disordered background, sometimes coming to the table, you know, having been on and off diets and constantly worried, sometimes coming to the table is like, kind of stressful for me because it triggers a lot of things. So, you know, and when I'm in a real, um, cause you know, when you have that kind of past, you go in and out of it and you're not always just on super solid ground, right. It resurfaces for me, at least when things get stressful. Um, you, I will say that I, will avoid the situation sometimes just because I, I I can't handle, like, and I am very focused on what everyone's eating and what I'm eating. Um, but so taking that pressure off and just saying, actually, it doesn't matter so much what we eat as long as we come to the table. It doesn't matter exactly which of the foods we eat on the table or how much how little, let's just take that off on the agenda. It just, it helps make those family meals so much easier to happen. Right. Um, and I can't emphasize like enough how much research there is on even kids and who eat with their parents regularly do have better nutritional intake. So it's not anything to, that's regardless of what the parents are putting out. Um, and I think that's fascinating. They also have more stable BMI. So their weight isn't going yo-yoing. They have better peer relationships, better scores and um, cognitive tests at school. So there's just you know, you just also feel like closer to your children, right? Because you're not having that com- conflict at the table. It's just really about, Hey, what happened today? This and that. Not... Could you please eat more? Could you, um, you know, please eat more of this? Cause I spent time making it and that kind of stuff. Wow. I think you hit on something
0: that I, ex- you know, I've experienced that. I think a lot of other people have had this kind of similar mindset. Um, my mom was Italian too. And, and I think that was a big part of our, you know, food is so important in Italian culture. And, um, and we would always, you know, sit down, but one of the things that she would always say is that you have to eat everything on your plate. You have to eat everything on your plate. And, um, and they would, you know, sometimes say like, Oh, you know, there are kids that are starving in these other countries. And, you know, even though I, I felt full, like, I still had to eat everything that was on my plate because it was there, you know, and i I think that that's that was one of the things that when I became a parent, I really kind of wanted to do that differently um because I realized that by being forced to eat everything that was on my plate, whether I was hungry or not, I wasn't paying attention to my own body and letting me know like am I satisfied, am I full, am I stuffed? am I still hungry? And it was like, I lost that ability to sense in myself when I was full. Um, And, and so that was a a change that I made with my own daughter of not, you know, forcing her to finish everything on her plate. And really, it was really important for me that she would be able to listen to her body and, um, you know, stop when she felt full and felt satisfied and didn't feel like I was forcing her to, you know, have one more bite, like you mentioned, or trying to make her eat all these, you know, different foods or whatever, when she was past that point of, you know, I'm satisfied and, and that's okay. Um, but that was, that was a big shift for me as a, as a parent. And, and, um, I don't know if you experienced that as well growing up. Um,
1: um I don't, I'm sure it did because that's such a cult that not just like, not more like American culture. I don't know about yeah. Italian, but that is, um, something I don't remember, um, that being asked to, to clear my plate, um, I, but I, but a lot of parents do do that. And I love to, it's a lot of what we work on, um, together in the program that I have. And then we talk about a lot in the community that I have, like these experiences that we've had in our own, um, childhood that have taken us away from our natural ability to self-regulate. Um, and that is another thing I like to think about is like you have that experience then w- with your own parents and it's amazing that you're able to actually call it out, acknowledge it and reframe and have a different approach for your children. That's wonderful. So great, great job um, instead of just continuing on right with the same approach. Um, but when you think about that, it makes the, eat, the experience so different when the child comes to the table, they're already kind of coming with this feeling of, um, anxiety maybe, or nervousness, like, okay, this is something I'm not good at. This is something my, you know, mom's going to pressure me to do. Um, I'm, if they're eating past fullness, they're definitely going to feel really uncomfortable after eating. And they also do develop a, um, you can develop not only those negative feelings, but you can develop a um, a more like a higher likelihood of getting comfortable in that overfed state, and almost feeling like if I'm not stuffed, then I'm I haven't done a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yes, it's definitely the bottom line. Is it? We call it inter- internal regulation, but having those messages from Outside influence is telling us to eat more or little disassociates us from our own sense. You know, we each are born with our own incredible, incredible ability to self-regulate our intake. And some days we're moving around more and more stressed and need more energy coming in. And some days we need less and our eating changes from day to day, too. But we get very disassociated or taken away from it by, by diet culture messages from parents and our upbringing, uh, by these pressures of healthy, like, oh, I should eat these extra broccoli tonight because it is good. Like all these weird things that are like going through our heads. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned self-regulation
0: because that's something that I've heard a lot in the unschooling community. Um, So as unschoolers, you know, I mentioned prior to our, our recording this conversation, we were talking beforehand um, and I've shared before, you know, unschoolers come from this approach that Um, We really want to give our children educational freedom, Um, but there's a group of unschoolers that are called radical unschoolers that kind of take that that freedom around a child's learning and apply it to other areas of their life, um, including bedtime screens, um, you know, not really limiting those other things, but then they also apply that when it comes to food. And um, one of the things that I hear them say a lot is is exactly what you said, that children have this ability to self-regulate and that we don't have to, um, you know, control or, or manipulate or f- kind of force what they're eating um, and that by not having there be this like good food or bad food mentality that over time they will learn to kind of self-regulate. And as we help them understand their awareness of how these different foods impact the way that we feel or things like that, um, that they kind of figure that out. But that's been something that I was always kind of a little bit skeptical about because I know for myself, like, I feel like I have a hard time self-regulating, you know, I struggle with self-regulation. And so I'm wondering, like, is that really possible? Like, is it really possible for, for children to be able to self-regulate when it comes to food? What, what do you think? What do you think? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I, I see these other parents talking about it, but it really, it's, it's a, it's a struggle for me, you know? Um, I, you know, I, I know my daughter is like me, like she has a sweet tooth and she loves to have sweet foods. And, and I know that, you know, it's something that I struggle with being able to like limit myself or know my limits. And, um, and so it, it's, it's hard for me. Cause I guess I haven't seen that or experienced that in my own life. Um, but it is definitely an idea that, that intrigues me. And, and I really want my daughter to be able to be free from those kinds of feelings of anxiety that you mentioned, because I see that in myself, like that I have, you know, anxiety when it comes to, to food and what I'm eating and and I see that in a lot of ways, I, I kind of like put that pressure on her too, especially in, well, for us in particular, it's like around sugar. Um, that's something that I try really hard not to have in our house, um, not to, you know, let her eat it or things like that. Um, but I, at the same time, I, I very conscious of the fact that I don't want her to view sugar as bad as you mentioned before. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to kind of find that, that balance. Cause I'm, I'm, I feel nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I just let her eat whatever, maybe she will, I don't know, eat a whole tub of ice cream or something. I don't know. Um, but I do have that, you know, that anxiety within myself of like, okay, if I let my daughter have this freedom to just experience and eat food and let her enjoy different types of food that she will continue to make, um, healthy choice. Ah, see, it's like, it's so ingrained. I'm saying healthy choices, you know, that she will make healthy, what I consider to be a healthy choice.
1: Hmm. Well, um, everything you're saying sounds extremely familiar. Um, when we have, you mentioned, you shared that you have struggled, right? With yes. dieting in the past. And I shared that pretty much everyone has many of us to different extents. Um, it makes, It's what you're saying um, makes so much sense. So the idea that would your daughter or your children be able to self-regulate? Absolutely. One hundred percent. The answer is yes, yes, yes. Um, What gets in the way are the uh, not to blame parents, but the ideas we have about, well, how could from diet culture and our own histories we don't trust ourselves around food. So how can we possibly trust our child, Mm. you know, um, to self-regulate? And you, you mentioned, um, as you were talking, like it struggles you've had yourself. So it can feel very scary to give your child the freedom around food. Um, when you're not, when you're unsure in yourself about it, um, it's, it was really great to hear you talking because um, I run a group program and we are like in the thick of it right now. Like you said, I wonder what would happen. I love that you took that extra step because those are questions that we ask each other in a group and we, we write about it and things like that. Like if your Oreos came up for one, for one mom, um, that we all have our foods too. Like mine is donuts. I can't like donuts freak me out, you know, like I'm not sure, even though I know cognitively, it will be fine if my kids eat one, two or five donuts. It can be hard, you know, to sort of step away and say it's okay. But in any event, we what would happen? Like what would happen if your child ate, you know, a whole bunch of Oreos? Like what actually is, what is the fear? What is the outcome? What would be the fear if What's the outcome if we keep limiting the Oreos and saying, oh, only one, only two and sort of transmitting that fear onto them that there's something terrible about eating this food. What's going to happen to them over the long-term with their relation? That to me is a bigger detriment, but you have to come to those things, you know, ideas on, on your own. Well,
0: and I, um, I noticed what you, you said something earlier that you were talking about when we place these limits around food, it's almost like it it creates that draw even more um, when we say like, oh, you can't have that, or, you know, you can only have one or you can only have two. It's like, I don't know why, but it almost makes you like, well, no, I, I want, I want more than two. You know, if, if someone were to say like, oh, you can only have two broccoli, you know, or something, it would, it, it's, it's just different, you know, like whenever we limit things, it almost creates that desire for more of it. When we say like, oh, you can't have that,
1: you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a paradox and it works both ways because when we pressure to eat certain foods, we automatically are like, really? Like, why? Do you-? Like, it just is a turnoff, right? Like yeah. someone says, please, you know, I mean, I don't know if you drink, but like, please finish this whole glass of wine before you can leave the table. You're like, oh, like, why? I don't want that. <laughs> you know, it just takes the, it, it just, it, de- it it decreases its value very quickly. And the opposite is true as well. Um yeah, and so we we wanna we want to create more of a neutrality for our kids so that when we restrict, we don't want we don't wanna restrict because that just it just increases this sense of feeling out of control or wanting to go overboard or not. What you're really doing, what we wanna do is increase trust for our children in their bodies and in themselves. And I'm sure that um This is applicable to so many things that you teach and talk about. Um, It's just very hard with food because there's so much distrust, right? Because of this pressure of diet culture. And to go back to the unschooling, um, the way I think that my approach is very aligned with that um, is, yes, I want, I want, I recommend allowing children to have full freedom around foods. We call it permission. So you can decide which food you want and how much, but I do recommend that um, it's done within a structure. So in the structure, this is actually a feeding model. It's called the division responsibility. So parents decide when and what. So you're going to decide when and what's on the table or what's offered for meals and snacks and the children decide how much and if they want to eat it at all. So the structure is the timing you know, we're gonna eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, we're gonna have two snacks. But when you arrive and you're gonna decide what's put out, but when you arrive there, it's totally up to the child to explore, discover, learn. They're gonna realize if they just eat dessert or ice cream, like yes, it's gonna be great for a little while, but eventually you it's not so great, right? But you have to learn that yourself. You can't teach you can't tell someone, right? Like you mm-hmm from my, from my perspective, it's absolutely um, vital that children learn this on their own. And the longer um, they have been restricted or pressured, the longer it can take to unwind that. And the same is for ourselves. So it's not, it's a process, right? So in the longer we've been dieting or being, um, it being restrictive in our own minds or having a certain set of rules, the longer it can take us to kind of redevelop that trust around food. Mm-hmm. Um, Does
0: that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. It's, it is interesting to think about, you know, the way that trust has that impact on what we, what we eat or, or the way that we relate to food, what our relationship is to food and trusting ourselves. And I definitely see that that's an area I think I need to grow in more, you know, being able to, to get back to that and being able to, to trust myself and, um, yeah, it's just it. It is definitely something that's challenging. You know, it's as you mentioned, it's so pervasive that diet culture, and we have our experiences in our own upbringing, and our experiences that are just hitting us from every side in schools, and um, it, it's just it's everywhere. And I'm wondering how do you, how do you help or support your own children, um, as they're growing up in the midst of this diet culture? Like, how do you I guess, protect them from that? Or how do you help create something different within your home so that they're not experiencing that same kind of level of anxiety or, um, shame, you know, when it comes to food and what they're eating?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that's an, a great question. Um, the program that I'm running now is actually called protecting girls from diet culture. I do. So it it is a huge concern. um, And I do want to help people do that for, to help us also raise girls who are growing up in the world and have brain space to do amazing things instead of being like totally consumed by like, what did I eat? What am I going to eat tomorrow? Did I have too much? Like we need to be able to just let that go and enjoy food. Right. Um, How, how do we do it? I, I do believe, I hate putting pressure on moms, but I also do believe that so much of it starts at home. Um, having that culture and openness at home and modeling, like it's okay. Um, like I put a little, some chocolate in my kids' lunch. Sometimes they have like a chocolate crepe, you know, like next to their sandwich or literally piece of chocolate. Um, these are, um, so we model at home, like we, we, have a neutral attitude towards foods. Um, and we include all foods in it. And I let my kids see me eat Cheetos or like golf, you know, like whatever the thing is, those are not bad foods, but to my children in our community, they're not eat. they don't eat stuff like that around here. So like we need to constantly be neutralizing. Like it's okay. You're not inferior. Like if you eat some of these like packaged foods or things like that, I'm going off on a tangent, but constantly challenging at home and creating that, um, atmosphere at home is the most important. And that's why, that's why, like I have the group program and then I'm even doing this because it also is, it's primarily for women who have a disorder, like moms who have a disordered past because it, it is very challenging and it's not easy to just change in one thing. So get, so get one, like, you know, bit of information, like, Um, So getting support with it so that you can stay strong at home and feel confident in what you're doing because that distrust and sort of second guessing comes up a lot. Um, For older girls or, or kids who are on social media, helping them with media literacy, Mm. um, not just like cutting it off. I mean, this obviously is um, different for every family, but my children are a little too young for that right now. But um, understanding that the images they're seeing are 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 not reality. Yeah. Um, when someone compliments my daughter on her looks, I will always be very quick to jump in and say, um, well, thank you. She's, she's great at soccer. She is, um, so funny. We love, we're so lucky to have her in a family. She keeps us laughing. So basically devaluing like looks mm-hmm. and, and emphasizing characters, strengths, skills, um, I guess you can only control what you can control. Right. So inputting things like that, um, being really curious when your kids come home with, um, my, when my daughter was, um, not too long ago, about a year ago, she came home and we were getting ready for dance and she was very upset. And she said, I asked her why she was crying. And she says, cause she felt that. So, um, it was horrible and heartbreaking. And even though I've heard it in in, um, sessions so many times from my clients and patients, when it's your own child, it's just heart, you know, heartbreaking much more. Um, But instead of responding with no, you know, no, you're not, or who cares, you know, being curious is really important. I think just drawing out more like why they think that so that you can counter all these different things that they're hearing right like and in that particular case again just we don't value people for their weight or size you know I value you for the fact that you're showing up to dance even though you it's you know it's really hard work like you're incredible that you have so much resilience and like so those are some ways I mean with food it's in the home, it's obviously a lot easier to control. Um, I have had a lot of, this would be really interesting. I have a whole nother conversation with you, but we have been having a lot of, not a lot, but from my clients, um, their children have been getting messages from school about what's healthy and not healthy. So that pressure is there and the diet culture is just infiltrated. Um, So Having those conversations at home, like if my daughter did use the word like this is Jungbuddh, I you know get curious. Where did you hear that? And mm. um, there's two ways to do it, right? To talk to her and get curious and encounter it, and then also talk to the educators and um, explain what your perspective is on it, right? Which is completely different. Um, and we should never be critic like commenting on other people's food, that is a rule, just like we say we don't comment on other people's bodies mm-hmm. we don't comment on other people's food and like what how much they're eating or what they're eating, whether it's good or bad um because we don't attribute like value and virtues to food hmm. something that so many people do right we We definitely do um
0: and it it's I feel like this is a completely new way to view the world of food, you know? Um, and I, like, I can't even begin to imagine what my life would have been like if I had been free from force and shame and guilt around food and around my body or around my weight, um, how different my my life or my experience with food would have been. Um, but I'm so thankful for the work that you're putting in to be able to help women, you mentioned mothers in particular that come from disordered past, but, you know, I think you're right. Like all of us have some sort of disorder when it comes to food. All of us have some sort of trauma when it relates to the way that our experience with food has, has been, whether that be that force or that shame or, um, anxiety, even, and things that you, many of us have never even taken taken the time to consider the way that our relationship with food has been formed over time and how it's impacting us today and also that next step of what we're passing on to our children and so I just want to thank you for the work that you're putting in to be able to help moms like, like me and so many other moms, um, you know, reflect on their relationship with food and how they can help support their children Um, to have a positive relationship with food and eating as well, and looking at that holistically. Um, All right. So another question that I have for you is what is, what are some strategies that you could give parents that want to help their children have a positive relationship with food?
1: Sure. Great, great question. So um, number, I have four or five just quick tips that I can give right now. Number one is avoid labeling foods as healthy or not healthy or healthy and junk. Because when we, um, first of all, very young kids, th- this is a way too abstract concept. Like healthy doesn't even, what does that even really mean? So you're not, you're not actually supporting them at all. What you are doing um, is creating a negative association with certain foods that usually are the ones that happen to taste really good. Um, and increasing like negative feelings. So avoid doing that. Just this food tastes, um, uh, this food tastes good. This food gives us energy. This food's so much fun to eat. Not this is good for you. And this is bad for you. Mm. Um, Kids don't see, first of all, as a dietitian and a clinical nutrition expert, foods are, um, have much more gray, like foods have, Lots of nutrients in them. Like, yeah, I was mentioned Cheetos. Cheetos are corn, and corn is a grain. Like we, you know, every food has nutrition. And just someone who hasn't had any grains in many weeks or years, or is suffering from food insecurity, Cheetos is highly nutritious. You know, so you don't want to set up this um, good and bad um, devil angel like this health halo on this food. So just avoid um, using the word junk, you could practice, see how hard it is for you too. For, for many of us, like that's actually really challenging, you know, So just even maybe thinking about it in your own mind, like what virtues am I, um, associating with different foods in my cupboard right now, you know? And, um,
0: yeah, I know, I know for us, we don't, we don't say like healthy versus junk food, but we definitely talk about healthy and not healthy. So I'm curious, like how what would you call the foods if you're not calling them healthy versus not healthy
1: um i just, Are they re- just food yeah just refer to like oh this is um this this tastes awesome or so if i notice i know i might say to my daughter like you didn't eat um I don't know if she, you didn't might just say like you didn't eat breakfast, you're gonna you're not gonna have any energy later in the day, you know, something like that, not it's not healthy to skip breakfast, because like, what does that even mean? Especially like, I'm thinking my six year old, like, um, and my older daughter associate like the word healthy. You can ask your child too what they think healthy means. Um, I, interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm gonna have to do that. All right. So everyone has homework. Ask your child what
0: they think healthy means. I love that. All
1: right. Yeah. And you, so I've asked probably hundreds of children this question, because it's one of the first questions I ask in nutrition counseling and one-on-one I'll say, why are you here? How can I help you? And so often they or their parent will say, well, I just want my child to be healthy. And so then I have to go into, well, okay, what does that, what does that actually mean for you? What would healthy look like for you? You know? So it's interesting to see um, what your children um, might think. So I've said, what does that mean to eight, nine, 10-year-olds, and they've said it means you're really skinny. Like, okay, that's very distorted, you know, like yeah. and 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 then you think they're striving for that in their life and that's not it's it's mm-hmm. unraveling what that means and being aware of it so that next time you tell your child, let's eat this, it's healthy, you'll know that you've just associated all of these whatever's in their mind. Right. So mm-hmm. avoiding that is a tip. And the first step would just maybe either be asking them what it means or in your mind also noticing your own attitudes towards food. So attitudes have a huge um, role in our behaviors around food because we've an attitude that one's healthy and one's not our behaviors are highly impacted like that. Cause we're trying to um, keep our kids, you know, do everything positive for them. Right. So, so noticing your attitudes towards food would be one. And just as a literal tip, avoiding those black and white thinking or healthy, not healthy is, is, um, a tip that I recommend and it can be challenging. So the first step is just thinking about it. Okay. Um, another tip is to avoid linking body weight with foods and eating. So we want to like completely separate those things. Um, you're what? <laughs> yeah. So diet culture, yeah. Diet culture and Um, all the messages out there in the ether tell us that every single time we sit down to eat, it's going to impact our body weight. Um, And that is just not true. There's so many other things that impact our body weight. And we can't also we can't directly change our weight. Like when we We don't have direct ability to change our weight, even though that is probably mind blowing because we're told over and over that you need to control your weight and do this to your weight, weight. but we can't effectively enact change over our body weight. I can't tell you like, for example, when you go to the, to your physician and they say you need to lose weight, which is a message we hear over and over. You can't go home and change your body weight. You just can't wake up tomorrow. You could take a pill if they say, take this pill, but there's no action you can actually take, Right. Um, I know that's challenging for people to think of, but it's absolutely true. And I know it to be true because when I, we know, for example, from research on dieting, and when people do try to manipulate their weight, they end up with eating disorders. They usually end up with higher BMI than where they started. So they end up with weight gain that wouldn't probably have occurred otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, they end up with a lot of emotional stress, social stresses, right? Um, so the simple tip though, is to not, um, associate weight with eating. And we have studied something called food talk, or I call it food talk. It's parental food talk. So when parents associate weight with the meal or food, those children are more likely to have disordered eating, Mm -hmm. um, and to have what we call unstable BMI. So their BMI will start to trend up in a way that isn't normal for them or it might even start to trend down in a way. And they're, you know, which in my mind is even more harmful because your child does not need to be shortchanged nutrient-wise during this stage of growth. That's very dangerous. Um, So we want to avoid doing that. And that goes along with even saying, talking about foods in a way to say, we want to eat this to stay a healthy weight or maintain a weight even that so it isn't necessarily okay, I won't tell them to go on a diet or say we'll lose weight if we eat this. It's even saying like, I want to stay, I want to keep my weight that also is um, was studied in the research. So just mm. the simple tip is just keep it off the table. Weight has nothing to do with our eating. It just, wow. it doesn't. And when you put it back on there, it does what we were talking about earlier, which just puts a ton of pressure on your eating there's all this pressure to make certain decisions that have nothing to do with pleasure, internal like satiety or fullness. Um, and we don't want to do that. So yeah, un- unlinking those two is really important and can, and ultimately help your children have a healthier relationship with food and even be more nutritionally rounded. Their intake will be better because they won't be um, having all this stress around meals. Um, another tip, we talked about already, but prioritizing just coming to the table over the actual food on the table. So prioritizing the regular meals and the reliability and consistency and de-emphasizing what actually is put out there. Um, and again, we talked about that earlier in this the episode. That is shown in research has so many benefits, um, regardless of what is served. So let's do it. Let's let's change shift our focus. Um, that's uh about about it yeah those are some those might those would probably be challenging right for some people what do you think
0: it, yes I, I mean I feel like like there's a lot of work I still have to to do so just to summarize um you said avoid the black and white labeling like healthy or not healthy healthy junk food that kind of thing um the second tip was um oh, could you remind me of the second one
1: yeah, to avoid linking weight with yes,
0: avoid linking weight with food and mm-hmm. diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your third one was coming together at the table.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, putting more emphasis on the regular, reliable eating together and le- less pressure on what is there and how much they ate or how little they ate.
0: Okay. Those are excellent, excellent tips, and I'm excited to try to start putting those into practice with my own family. So thank you so very much for sharing
1: those with us. You're welcome, and reach out for support. Come into that to the Nourisher Collective so that when it gets tough, you can talk about it with me and with uh, with some other moms who are um, in the same situation. All right. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned
0: some of your group that you have. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm sure that we'll have listeners that would love to get involved in the work that you're doing and that are anxious to start um, that process of, of healing themselves and healing their own relationship with food to be able to help them, um, you know, raise children that also have positive relationships with food. Could you tell us more about the classes or the courses that you offer?
1: Sure, I'd love to. I have, Um, the first thing if you're just being introduced to this um Mm -hmm. approach would be just to come in. I have a community, it's called the Nourisher Collective. Um comment Nourish her. Uh, Nourish,
0: yeah. yeah. I
1: always have to um, (laughs) to emphasize that. So thank you so much, Angela, for doing Nourish her. Yeah, there's an extra H in there. So it's the word nourish and then the word her. So there's an extra, an extra H in there. So it's nourisher um collective is the online is like the group community so come in there angela you should come in too i know i'm I'm like i'm as soon as we
0: finish this conversation i'm gonna go sign up because I'm, i'm like i i need to grow in this area myself i need to heal in the ways that i've been viewing and interacting with with food and so i'm really excited to join their nourish her nourisher nourish her community
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually the it's a the Nourish Her Collective. If you just Google Nourish Her with an extra H, though, you'll come to my page and I actually should more prominently put the community up there. But the community is free. Come in. Um, it's kind of like Facebook. It's on Mighty Networks, but it doesn't have all the noise of Facebook around it. So when you come in, you're just focused on that. But you can get introduced to more ideas, more with more articles or writing and and then You know, what usually happens is you take an idea like this, you sit with it for a little bit, it gets in your mind, and then questions come up like, "What? how could that possibly be? Or, hey, here's what happened to me, or my child said this. So it's really good to have a, a, you know, as with anything, just a set of like-minded people who are in the same spot as you to talk about these things, right? So that the community is great. Um, like that. And it's, it's growing. I would love to have more people come in right now, because you'll get a lot of my attention at this point. Um, and I also teach a group program called the nourisher well program. And that's a 12 week program, where we have a one lesson each week. And then we also have group support where we talk and I answer questions. And we also have a like a smaller, um, more private community. So we can if you do have a lot of Issues you're struggling with, you know, you can also come in conflict with a parenting partner, a teacher, all kinds of things. Not mm-hmm. so like conflict, but people will challenge you because this is definitely um, incongruous to what's out there. And I know that that I'm, I'm sure you have that experience. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the 12 week program, I offer mini workshops, um, which usually is basically a shorter version of the program where I introduce it. You know, in little, a smaller, shorter time, some of the lessons. And then from there, if you wanna do deeper work, you, you're invited to come into the program. So there's the community and um, the free mini class. And then ultimately if you wanna join the, the program that would be available as well.
0: That's wonderful.
1: And actually I'm
0: gonna make sure that I put um, the links for the Nourish Her Collective and um, all these other amazing things that you are offering. Um, I'll put those in the description so that um, if anyone is interested, you are able to sign up um, and get connected with Amelia so you can start um, start this work for yourself. And um, I'm really, really excited to be able to see the, the things that we can create as far as having these positive relationships with, with food and with our children um, as a result of that too. So I think, I mean, ultimately, that's that's the goal, right? That we can have positive, connected, loving relationships with our kids and um, and to be able to interact with them without shame, without guilt, without coercion, without force, without threats and manipulation and all those things. Um, and so thank you so very much for, for putting in the work yourself um, to heal yourself and, and really think through a lot of these issues very deeply and then to also create something new for your children and for the rest of us.
1: Thank you, Angela. It was so great to connect with you. I hope to be able to work with you more. And thank you for the work. I I um want other opportunities for my children with regard to education as well. Not just, you know, very focused on food, but all these other expanding that out to all other areas of their life. Um And yeah, and ultimately, not just our relationship with them, but their relationship their experience in the world right so thank you for offering um alternative ways to to support our children it's great thank you all right um well i hope that this podcast
0: episode was as much of a blessing for you as it was for me Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, As you know, new episodes of the Peaceful World Schoolers podcast are released every Tuesday. Um, So uh, make sure that you subscribe. The video version is on YouTube if you prefer to watch us live, or you can listen on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Um, Thank you so very much. And I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are. See you next time. Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders, and I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are. If you like this video, please make sure you subscribe and click the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.